All right, once again, please open to the gospel according to Mark, chapter number 14. And we have uh, <clears throat> begun, we, get, we began this uh, uh, chapter last Sunday, we talked about the uh, plot to kill Jesus, the conspiracy of those who had uh, uh, already been against Jesus, who had been seeking to uh, trick him, to trip him up in his talk and his answers to their questions and had not been successful. And so now they are uh, uh, getting a little bit desperate. Passover is coming up and they want to get this thing taken care of before Passover. But uh, let's uh, pray once again, and then I will get uh, further into uh, the uh, into the text here, because I really want us to enjoy this uh, time of anointing by Mary at Bethany. I, I want us to really just soak this up. So let's pray. Our Father, in the name of Jesus, once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage, and I pray that you would open it up to us. May we just wallow in it. May we just bathe ourselves in it. May we see it for your glory and desire to be like Mary and, and pour all of ourselves out for you in your service and your honor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me read verses 3 through uh, 9 once again. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, <clears throat> and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do, for, do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Truly, I say to you, Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. As I said, this is a, uh, uh, a beautiful passage of Scripture, and we have seen where that uh, uh, during this time the uh, religious leaders were trying their best to uh, find a way to trip Jesus up to uh, be able to kill him before Passover. They were 
very concerned about their religious ritual. They were very concerned about uh, not uh, being defiled for the Passover, but they were not concerned about murdering an innocent man. They were not concerned about uh, bringing false witness against Jesus and having him put to death on false charges. They had no problem with that. They did not fear God. They feared men. They feared the uh, uh, voice of the people. It's almost like the politicians that we have today. It seems like uh, in the leadership of Israel, the, uh, uh, those Pharisees and those Sadducees and those uh, people who were hip hypocritical have not all died. They have uh, uh, survived some of them down to our day and they fear the voice of people, but they do not fear God. They do not honor God's word. And this is uh, the same way that these people were. And then in the uh, uh, verses 10 and 11, we see that Judas goes from this occasion to the uh, religious leaders and the priest and tries to conspire with them or does conspire with them to betray Jesus. He was one of Jesus' uh, 12 disciples. And so Judas uh, wanted to betray him to the Pharisees, the chief priests, the scribes, the Sadducees, all those religious leaders. And uh, they agreed on a price. And so Judas is seeking opportunity to betray Jesus. But as Mark has often done in his uh, gospel, he sandwiched something in between these two things, something beautiful. And this <clears throat> beautiful thing we call the anointing of Jesus at Bethany. And uh, he was anointed by a woman. Uh, we talked last week about the place where they were. They were at uh, Bethany. They were in the house of Simon, who was <clears throat> obviously a cleansed leper. Jesus and his disciples, along with others, were there for this supper. Uh, John chapter 12 tells us that uh, Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those that sat at the table with Jesus. That's just a wonderful thing, isn't it? I mean, in chapter number 11, he was cold, graveyard dead, already stinking. Jesus comes, tells them to roll the stone from the door. And after their protest, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And here comes a man wrapped in grave clothes, hopping to the door of the tomb. Well, you know, he couldn't stroll, right? He was wrapped up. He comes hopping to the door of the tomb. Jesus says, loose him and let him go. Lazarus has been called by the effectual call of Christ. Christ's call of his name, calling him from death, infused the life in him that was required for him to be able to respond. 
Isn't that wonderful? And that old dead guy had to wash off and take off those old uh, uh, garments that uh, uh, pertain to death. And he is now one of those seated at the table with Jesus. It's a lovely picture of salvation, is it not? That's what we were. We were dead in trespasses and in sins. And, and he saved us. He quickened us. That word quickened means he infused life into us. And so Lazarus was there. He was one of those sitting at the table with Jesus. As we said, Martha served. But then there's a woman who comes in. And John tells us that this is Mary, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. This is Mary who comes in. Now we want to look at what she did. She worshipped. This is what was on her mind. She worshipped. The, the definition, I looked up the definition of worship in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And it says to honor or show reverence for as a divine being or supernatural power. Number two, to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. This is what Mary did. She left home prepared for worship she prepared herself before she ever left the house. And that's another one of those lessons that you and I could learn from this account. That we should prepare ourselves for worship before we ever leave home. She knew who she wanted to see. She knew who she was going there for. She knew she was not going into that place to be praised by others, to be noticed by others. She had one focus. She had one thing on her mind, and that is, let me get to Jesus. I've come to see Jesus. She looked over the crowd. She didn't, wasn't impressed by anything anyone else was doing or saying or wearing. She went straight to Jesus. <coughs> she, uh, and I know she went prepared because she brought something very unusual to this event. She stood around the house and thought, what can I do? What can I give to, uh, to show him my love? What can I do for my Lord? She had heard him tell about the fact that they were going to take him and judge him and beat him and crucify him and he would be buried and rise the third day and she understood that like none of the other disciples did and so she brought with her the most expensive the most valuable treasure that she had now i want you to understand how valuable this uh, uh ointment was 
this was something that uh, was not produced locally. It had to be imported from a distance. It was a very complicated thing to manufacture. And even the flask or the bottle that carried it was uh, expensive itself. And uh, this was something that was worth, according to what the uh, disciples said, it was worth 300 denarii. Now, a denarius was the value of a day's labor for a common man. So 300 of those would be almost a year's wages. Now, do you imagine, uh, you know, if, if uh, you make $20,000 a year, if you do, congratulations. But uh, if you made $20,000 a year, you're talking this is $18,000 value that she's bringing to Jesus. That is pretty expensive. It's something that uh, was probably a family heirloom that was passed down. And when it was used, it was normally used as uh, 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 just something to dab a little bit on, you know. And it was very strong. The odor, <coughs> John says... When she did it, that odor filled the house. And so this is such a strong uh, ointment that, uh, or a strong odor that they would just touch a little bit on the person. It was used sometimes for burial and for a dead body, anointing a dead body because it could overcome the smell of death. And so... This was something that was extremely, extremely costly and valuable. And she teaches us something else here that worship, now you get what I'm saying, worship is costly. True worship will cost you something. Be terrified. Be uh, Beware of any worship, any style of worship that's offered to you that makes you feel good, <laughs> that's not directed toward Jesus and that costs you nothing. The very first mention, the very first time the word worship is mentioned in Scripture, does anyone know where that is? The first Mentioned the first time the word worship is mentioned in scriptures in Genesis chapter 22. Do you know what was taking place there? Abraham was called to offer his only son Isaac as a sacrifice before God. And he told his men when they reached Mount Moriah, he saw the place afar off that God had appointed, which incidentally uh, uh, in later years became the very spot where Jesus was crucified. But uh, when he saw that place that God had appointed, he told his men, his servants, he said, uh, you Stay here with the animals and I and the lad will go yonder. See, he was from Tennessee. We'll go yonder and worship. 
and return to you. That's how costly worship is. Worship, Abraham, in order to worship, he had to give the very best. And in giving the very best, he didn't, God didn't take what he offered, but he got Abraham. You see, that's how this works. You give everything and he gets you. That's what worship is. David in 2 Samuel chapter 24. I haven't uh, uh, mentioned this in, uh, in years, I don't guess. But this is such a wonderful passage of scripture. 2 Samuel chapter uh, 24. <clears throat> Now that's in the Old Testament in case you're, you're not used to the Bible. Chapter 24, verses 18 through 24. Listen. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, Arauna, the Jebusite, so David went up at Gad's word, and as the Lord commanded, and when Arauna uh, looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Arauna went out and <clears throat> paid homage to the king with his face to the ground, and said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Arauna said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king Arauna, O king, Arauna gives to the, uh, to the king. And Arauna said to the king, My, May the Lord your God accept you. So, David wants to build this altar. He wants to offer an offering to the Lord. He wants to buy the altar, the ground for the altar. And the servant of the king says, no, you don't have to buy it. I'll give it to you. I'll give you the oxen to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And I'll give you everything you need to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And here's what David said. <clears throat> but the king said to Arauna, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. Listen, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen. This is, uh, I think this is something we need to really seriously consider that uh, we really would like to go to a church where it doesn't uh, cost us anything. It's easy to go. It's uh, easy to sit and listen. It's easy to uh, uh, enjoy the music and, 
and enjoy the excitement of all the things that are going on. Some of our uh, churches today, <coughs> excuse me, it seems as if we are uh, constantly uh, looking for more entertainment, more things to make us enjoy, you know, the, uh, uh, the worship team, you know, that uh, leads the congregation in swaying and, and uh, <clears throat> beautiful music. And I, I'm not against beautiful music. It's just that, uh, that it, is it worship or is it entertainment? Is, I mean, is it giving God the glory that he deserves or is it making a fair show in the flesh? And I think that's, uh, uh, that's kind of what we <clears throat> have gotten into these days. We have people that will visit occasionally and, uh, you know, it's just not, uh, uh, it's not a feel-good atmosphere. And so it's hard for people to come back because it just doesn't feel good. But we are preaching the word of God, are we not? We're giving God the things that he has required of us. And he has told us how we should worship, what we should do in worship. And focusing on him and his word is what we must do. She, she came... Uh, Mary came to Jesus and gave the uh, very best, the most valuable thing that she had. And in doing this, she came to him to demonstrate her love. And she did it extravagantly. That's one of those words that the definition in the dictionary used. To regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. She has, is giving extravagantly to the Lord. Because she loved him. She wanted to display her love to him. She wanted him to see how much he meant to her. And uh, she loved him that much. Well, why did she love him so much? Well, one of the reasons I think why we could say that Mary loved him so much as we have read about Mary in other passages of Scripture, he communed with her heart. He knew her heart. She had an intimate relationship with him spiritually. He understood and welcomed her love. Remember that time when Martha was serving and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha said, do you not care, Lord, that uh, I'm left here to serve and she is not doing anything? And Jesus said she has chosen that good part that will not be taken away from her. Jesus and Mary had a, a, a communion a heart communion. She drew nigh to God, as James 4, 8 said, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Jesus and Mary had that drawing nigh of spirit. She <coughs> loved him. She was one uh, like the psalmist wrote, I believe it's Psalm 46, as the heart panteth 
after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Je Mary panted after the heart of Jesus. She under he understood and welcomed her love. And he uh, another reason she loved him was because he'd raised her brother from death. And, uh, and she loved him because she understood, and I've already said this, but she understood that he was going to redeem her forever by his sacrifice. She understood what the disciples did not. Now, some people might think, well, maybe, I don't, I'm not sure she understood. She probably, it just probably was coincidence and it worked out that way, but, uh, it's, uh, it's not a coincidence that she chose a, uh, an item that was used for burial. It's not a coincidence that Jesus said she has done this for my burial. She understood that he was going to sacrifice himself for her sin. And that's why you and I should love him. He died for us on the cross of Calvary. He died for our sins. And so she came to him <clears throat> with that <clears throat> bottle or that flask of ointment. And she gave herself and what she had. She broke the bottle. She didn't just open the bottle. But the scripture said she broke the bottle. Which is a picture of breaking herself uh, uh, pouring out herself with reckless abandon. She gave it all. She poured it out. She did not dab it, as we said earlier. That's the customary way of using that. She didn't just put a little bit here and there on Jesus, but she dumped the whole thing out. She broke the vessel that it was in so that uh, uh, it was obvious that she did not want any of it back. She was going to pour it all out. This is the way you and I should be offering ourselves to the Lord as broken vessels pouring out our lives on him with reckless abandon. She didn't want any of it back. And uh, most people, it seems to me, and I don't know that, uh, I hope I'm not being harsh or mean, and I hope you don't take it that way, but most of us, what we would really like to do is take just a little bit on Sunday morning and dab that on Jesus, you know. And then not have to worry about him any other time the rest of the week. Does anyone say amen here ever? <laughs> and I'm saying we. I'm not saying you. I'm saying we. We do that. We, we want to have our lives to ourselves and just wear Jesus like a patch on Sundays. Or some other time during the week. But we're not all in. We're not broken and poured out with reckless abandon to him. She broke the bottle and she poured it all out in absolute devotion for him. To him. <clears throat> and that's... Uh, 
and, and reckless abandon is uh, that's that's the way we should give ourselves to the Lord, right? Uh, reckless abandon. Let me give you the definition of that. Reckless means marked by a lack of proper caution, careless of danger, and utterly unconcerned about the consequences of some action. So if I give myself to Jesus and to his service recklessly, I am unconcerned about the consequences. Unconcerned. I just want him to have all of me. And abandon means to give oneself over unrestrainedly or without restraint. And so to give ourselves to him with reckless abandon is to just say, if it costs me my life, I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to give myself completely to Jesus. I'm going to be in his house when the doors are open. I'm going to be on the field serving him whenever I have opportunity, whenever the door is open to me. I'm pouring my life out in reckless abandon. This uh, <clears throat> mission agency that uh, I worked with until we came here, that was the uh, that was the theme of that agency is Jesus is worth it. Pour your life out for him. Give it all. We were constantly going into places where it was dangerous. We went into uh, cartel territory in Mexico all the time. And every time, every time there was a, a news program that told about how dangerous it was in Mexico. Stay out of Mexico. Don't go into Mexico. We had to go through the same thing all over again. People would say, oh man, you don't need to go now. You don't need to go now. Well, people are still going to hell now. People still need to hear the gospel now. Jesus is still worth it right now. They killed Jesus. Why am I better than Jesus? They can kill me. It'll be okay. You say, well, that's just, that's just not proper caution. Well, that's what reckless abandon means. <laughs> no proper caution. This is exactly what the uh, people who were there said. They said in verse number four, there were some who said to themselves indignantly. <coughs> R.C. Sproul said that uh, word that's used there means to flare the nostrils. Like you see on a cartoon, a, uh, a, a, a bull that's going after the uh, bullfighter and his nostrils rage. This is kind of what this means. These people were so furious with what she had done that their nostrils flared. They were angry and they said, what a waste. What a waste. There, she's wasting that on Jesus. Is that even possible? Is that true? Is there anything that you could waste on Jesus? Is there any way that giving extravagantly you could waste it on Jesus? 
Is any life ever wasted? Is anything ever wasted when it's given to him? That's what people always tell missionaries. They, uh, uh, and I had friends, man, I would call them and talk to them and they'd say, oh man, I wouldn't ever do what you're doing. I, I would never do that. One uh, friend <clears throat> was killed in a car wreck. He was killed in a car wreck. Now, and and it, I love him. I still love him. I think of him almost every day. But his wife said, I would have never let him go to Mexico with you. Well, you know, it's kind of like Dr. Phil. How did that work out? I, I, that's, that was mean and harsh. But we're going to die. And most of us would like to get to our deathbeds as easily and as comfortably and in good health as we possibly can. But it's, a, it's about Jesus. Our life is about Jesus. Are you understanding what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be mean or hateful, but <clears throat> people think that you're wasting your life when you give it all to Jesus. John the Baptist in John chapter 3 and verse number 30 said, he must increase, I must decrease. A fellow by the name of Nicholas von Zinzendorf said, I want to preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Well, it's not that he didn't want to make an impact on the world, but what he was saying is, don't remember me, remember Jesus. Don't think about me, think about Jesus. A wasted life is not one who uh, pours it out for Jesus. A wasted life is one who gives himself to this world and sin and debauchery. <coughs> John Piper wrote a book a few years ago, and I've given away several of these, entitled Don't Waste Your Life. My friend David Sitton wrote this book, Reckless Abandon. You should read it. You should read it. David Platt wrote a book entitled Radical, talking about radical obedience to Christ. This is what I see when I see Mary making her way into this building, into this place where uh, all this crowd of religious people are and finding Jesus. And pouring out all she had on him. Lord, I thank you for this passage of scripture. I pray that it would work in our hearts to make us more like Jesus <clears throat> and more like Mary. Jesus also poured out his life. And that picture is here too. That he would give himself extravagantly. For the sins of his people. We thank you Lord Jesus for that. May we be more like you. In Jesus name. Amen.